Hello and welcome back to Lots of Planets Have a North, a Northern Doctor Who podcast. I'm Kieran. I'm Bramwell. I'm Jacob. And you join us for the second, the unexpected second part, actually, of our um, Chibnall era retrospective, because it turns out there's a lot to say about the last few years. Who knew? In this part, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be essentially going through our top three and bottom three episodes, our favourites and least favourites of the era. And then we're just going to be talking a bit about what we think the legacy of this era will be, how it is going to be remembered. So... Let's talk favourites and least favourites. So we're going to do this a little bit like the way we tend to do kind of rankings in when we talk about seasons of the show. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of going to take it in turns. We'll each do our top three and then our uh, our bottom three on sort of another pass. So uh, I will begin with my, let's keep it positive, top three of the era. Let's keep it positive for now at least. <laughs> Before we dive into the dregs. I didn't have too much difficulty with these lists. I kind of knew pretty quickly what my top two would be. And my bottom three came pretty quickly as well. But the spot that really gave me difficulty was number three. My third favourite episode of the era. Because I thought about, well, should I give it to an episode that is kind of trying something interesting. But maybe not quite succeeding. To my mind, something like It Takes You Away or even Once Upon Time. Should I give it to, like, Haunting Villa Diodati, which I think is half a really good episode, and then just nosedives in quality in the last 20 minutes or so? For more on that, you can see our historicals episode, incidentally. I kind of went back and forth a bit on this, but eventually I decided I actually ended up going with my first instinct, which is to put my, give my number three spot to The Woman Who Fell to Earth. Not because it's a particularly great episode. I don't think it is. I think it is a good episode. I think it is a competent episode. And it is an episode that kind of manages to set up the era quite nicely. And part of the reason I choose it here is because I think it is an episode that clearly had a lot of potential. It sets up these characters well. It gives all kinds of interesting paths that they might go down. uh, Both the companions and the Doctor, really. And that's why it's strange to look back on, really, because it seems to be an episode that has a lot of potential that never really went anywhere. I mentioned when talking about Ryan, the fact that, you know, he starts off as like a YouTuber, as someone who is kind of engaged with social media. And that's something we see a fair bit of in this episode. We also see a fair bit of like the old friendship or at least acquaintanceship between him and Yaz. Uh, We see a lot of his relationship with Graham, which, to be fair, does get developed a little bit at least. And these kinds of things just sort of fall by the wayside. And it's a real shame because I think Woman Who Felt Worth is really quite an efficient episode in terms of how much it sets up in its 50 minutes or so of running time. Moving on, though, my number two is, again, I think an episode that really showcases a lot of potential, which I don't think was particularly followed up on. And it's something that we've already talked about again a bit, even if we haven't massively talked about this episode, because the episode is Fugitive of the Jadoon, which, as I mentioned already, I think I remember it's really, apart from maybe the very beginning, the the point in this era that I most remember feeling actually kind of excited and interested to see what came next. I I was, as I think a lot of people are, really kind of wrong-footed by the Fugitive Doctor reveal 
And obviously Joe Martin is fantastic in, I think that episode in particular, actually, she really, that's the, the episode that I think really gives her a chance to shine, both as Ruth and as the, the Doctor. And I think it is just a, again, just a very well put together episode. It's very efficient. It kind of skips along nicely from plot beat to plot beat. The only real problem with it, I think, is the weird Captain Jack bit that doesn't really add anything that just sort of like sets up some later stuff in the season, but is mostly just kind of a few minutes of wishing John Barrowman wasn't on our screens anymore. And which, um, I mean, in terms of the co-authorship of this episode, I don't want to say that's Chris Chibnall's only bit, but it is definitely the bit that feels most like him. It's not that the rest feels particularly like Vinay Patel, because I don't necessarily know what that means, but it does certainly feel a lot more kind of like there's a looseness and an energy to it that feels less like Chibnall, although to be fair, I assume he was involved in pretty heavily in particularly some of the later stuff involving the Doctors. But yeah, I think it's a it's a fun episode, and it's an episode I remember thinking, I don't know how much I'm going to end up liking this episode, because it's going to depend how this whole plot arc sort of shakes out. And the funny thing is, even though I don't l- really like how the Fugitive Doctor ended up being being treated, and I don't like how the Timeless Child thing turned out and all this kind of stuff, again, as we've already talked about, I do quite like this episode still. Uh, and I think that just that does speak to its strength as an episode, that it kind of almost gets to stand independent of all of that. And then my number one, this will not be terribly surprising at all, it's Demons of the Punjab. Again, we've mentioned Vinay Patel is kind of, seems like, in a writing sense at least, the real standout, the real hero of this era. Uh, and Demons of the Punjab is, I think, really certainly for me, and I think for a lot of other people as well, the standout episode of this era. Not just in terms of just general quality, in terms of just being a very good episode amid mediocre to bad ones. It's also, I think it's the episode that for me most demonstrates that there was something here. There really was. It's not that everything about this era, about Series 11 particularly, was misconceived. Because there is something, there is something to this idea. We've talked about this again already. This idea of passive witnessing, which could have been interesting, which could have been a real sort of moral stance. And tying it up with this particular moment in history, I think, makes it all the more interesting. It's also a really well done historical, I think. It's one, again, it's, I think, one of the few places where the, the apparent educational sort of remit seems to shine through in terms of talking about... Uh, an element of world history that is not particularly well known, particularly in Britain, where it kind of should be, mm. given why the partition of India happened and indeed the effects it's had on kind of on Britain itself, really. I think it's also just in terms of examining both this historical moment and this kind of historical era, it has a, a substantial understanding of it, of how kind of people acted in that era i think not that i'm particularly any kind of expert on it but certainly it feels that way and also it does a thing that i don't think historicals do very often which is it ties the historical moment to one of the characters to one of the companions in a very direct personal way which is a as such a clearly great idea that i don't know how it hasn't been done more but yeah 
that is that's my top three. Branwell, what about you? Well, I'll I'll start. This is going to be a similarity sandwich because I'm starting with the woman who fell to earth in the third place for basically similar reasons to Kieran, so I probably won't over labor the point on that one. But yeah, it was a strong start. I like the characters, how they're introduced. There are some things that I think are work less. I think you can already see that the humor is maybe not going to be hmm, a standout. That's true. But um it's fun. The music was good. I was I think it's an enjoyable episode. Uh but I'll move on to second place, which is different. Partly because like, not to spoil first place, but I didn't want to overload it on Vinay Patel, so I picked my favourite of the two Vinay Patel episodes for the top spot. So instead, in second place, we have Can You Hear Me? Which, mm. I don't know, I might I might not have put it in on another day. I have to give special mention to Haunting of Villa Diodati, which I considered putting in both the top and the bottom three at different times. But I felt like the writing was too strong for it to go in the bottom, but the ending was too bad for it to go in the top. But it went to Can You Hear Me because I think until the last chunk of it, I think it's pretty interesting. I I enjoy the goofiness of the detachable fingers. I think that like Mm. some of the strongest moments in the Chibnall era actually have been where it sort of leans into the some just something really silly. I'm I'm always here for that because it's because it's quite sinister, but it it's also you know detachable fingers in someone's ears. And I liked, but the main reason, I think the main reason why I picked for that one for the top three is because I like that animated sequence. Oh, yes. Um, I thought that was fun. Um, it was an interesting stylistic choice. And I kind of wonder why they didn't do more of that kind of thing, really, because it was a cool, a cool way of setting some stuff up. And then, obviously, in first place, I have uh, Demons of the Punjab. We talk about how good this one is quite often, I feel like. Hmm. Maybe not on the podcast, but certainly also in real life. Um, probably both. But I I found this one genuinely moving in a way that I don't think a lot of Doctor Who episodes across all eras necessarily achieve. Like I, I think that the celebration of the life that is beautiful in its normalness Mm. of Yaz's grandmother is really quite moving and remarkable and it reminds me of some of my favorite kind of moments in Doctor Who which is the celebration of like ordinary people's lives um and I think that is something that is missing from the rest of the era which to its detriment I think focuses on the specialness of companions over um the joy that can be had in not the mundane but certainly the the sort of everyday specialness of of existence yeah that's a really good point and actually um i mean the this kind of focus on the the ordinary is something we've sort of celebrated in doctor who before particularly back in our episodes on series one but yeah and actually i think it's something that is there in um woman who fell to earth as well Mm. i think that's another thing that is notable in that episode and notable by its absence elsewhere is there's no sense that these are kind of remarkable people they are like um ryan and yaz particularly are people who are just kind of frustrated with where they are in life which is just a quite normal relatable thing and graham is just a fairly happy-go-lucky lad 
as as to a lesser extent is grace for that matter mm. uh, and I, actually we shouldn't overlook the importance of grace in that episode and uh, she is essentially the title character but yeah i think that is a really good point so uh jacob over to you okay well some of this is going to be very familiar I had difficulty with both of these. I had difficulty with picking a top three. I had even more difficulty with picking a bottom three. The bottom three may change within the next two minutes. Who knows? But the top three was slightly easier. I mean, the main problem is that for me, there is a lack of decent episodes in this era. And so there's very few that I even wanted to put in the top three. So I ended up going with, again... Uh, in third, the woman who fell to earth, um, which you know is kind of—I I think it's quite damning that like we've put in the top three, what, what the first episode of the era, and then kind of you know basically said it doesn't really get much better than that. And it's not—it's you're right, it's not a great episode. Like it's um, it's good and it's competent and it works, um, and it introduces the characters well, but that is kind of it really like yeah i enjoyed watching it at the time and at the time having been very skeptical about the chimpanzee era i thought well maybe i'm wrong about this and maybe Mm. it's going to be better than i thought it was and that that wasn't true but yeah um and then in second uh i did something different and i went with village of the angels Okay, yeah, yeah. I considered that, actually. Yeah, yeah. which, uh, again, like, I don't think it's perfect, but I thought it was interesting. I thought it was quite well done. Um, It's also, I think it's co-written with Maxine Alderson, which is probably why it's good. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Like, better than some of the others, anyway. I mean, mean, the the only awkwardness I had with putting this in was the fact that it's in the middle of flux, and there are kind of flux Mm -hmm. things that kind of appear throughout it, and I think flux is... I don't necessarily have an issue with the kind of six episode idea. I actually quite like the idea of having kind of six interlinked episodes or like a story. But I do think Flux overall is a bit of a mess. But if I just... I also think Village of the Angels is probably the episode in Flux which I think is easiest to sort of take out of the rest of the of the sequence. Um, mm. And I do think, it, you know, it would like... It's a shame that it's not an episode in its own right, but I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. Um, like, I enjoy some of the kind of the the, the side characters who come in. Um, I think they're very good. I think it's kind of the most effective use of the angels since, like, Blink, probably. I mean, I'm, I'm generally not a fan of bringing them back continuously because I think they, their power kind of dilutes the more you use them. But mm. I, I do think they use quite well here. And that's all I really have to say about that. And then for my top one, I have, again, it's not surprising, I have Demons of the Punjab, which, yeah, is just kind of uh, a, a very kind of moving story. In the, it, like you said, in the way that a lot of the... I mean, a lot of Doctor Who isn't, but particularly the rest of this era isn't. I feel like a lot of times this era kind of does stories that should be emotional or that seem to be asking you to have an emotional response, but I often it's not earned, and I don't feel like it's mm. it's been it's been you know kind of executed very effectively. Like I think a lot of the year is kind of actually evacuated of emotional content, and this is one case where it's not like that. 
And I think in part it's because it's it's a story that is much more focused than a lot of the other stories in the era. So my kind of one of my big issues throughout this era, I mean, you see it in it's Once Upon Time, I think it is, you know, which kind of moves yeah. between lots of different strands incredibly quickly. And I think mm. that's something the era does a lot. Like I was re-watching Praxius. And it's like we've gone from Madagascar to Hong Kong to I can't remember where else they go, Sheffield, somewhere else. Um and it, it's just it's just too much. And it I think it often there'll be lots of characters brought in in these different locations and it prevents you from forming an emotional connection with them. And it mm. prevents you from being invested in them. And I think with this there's a kind of there's much more of a focus on on these characters so you can kind of get attached to them. I also think, as you were saying, I think it's probably the best example of of trying to sort of do that sort of like educational history thing. Um, like I, I, I like the location that they've picked. I think it's important. Uh, I think it's important to kind of represent that. And I, and I think generally the historical explanation in this uh, and kind of the explanation of what's happening in that period is is much better accomplished than say something like Rosa, you know, or just any of the other historicals. Really, I think, yeah, it's sort of more incorporated into the action. I think the the sort of the the emphasis on kind of the um, emotional element of the story means that it's much more effective in getting that information across, um, and it's showing it rather than telling what's happening a lot of the time um and i think the kind of the alien element in the story is is one that's sort of uh it doesn't feel out of place it's sort of incorporated into the whole plot and the the themes of the Mm. story which is good i mean that's all i have i mean i had i had a couple of sort of mentions like honorable mentions like i i thought about putting villa Villa diodati in for the same reasons but again, I didn't do it because I just think that the, the second half is terrible. Um, again, it would have been very good as a story on its own, kind of divorced mm, from the the wider plot line. I think that would have been good. And I th- I think, can you hear me? I, 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 I quite liked as well. I do have problems with it. I mean, I have problems particularly with the ending, like we were saying. Hmm. Um, oh, the ending is terrible. <laughs> the ending is dreadful. It undermines everything that the episode is supposed to be trying to do i also i also do take issue with the kind of with 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 depictions of mental health uh that tend to focus on the idea of strength and it's something the doctor comes up over yeah. over, says yeah. over and over again and i i do i i find that to be an issue um you know it's kind of placing individual responsibility onto people uh, you know it's and it's sort of implying that people who maybe succumb to mental illness like it, it's almost like a sign of weakness and that's exactly how it shouldn't yeah. be portrayed so I kind of much as I like a lot of it that's kind of why I left it out and yeah that's that's all I have really it, yeah I was actually going to um uh, this might be something worth discussing now actually um because I, I don't think I, I think I meant to bring it up last time but didn't but um I was wondering what we think about the amount of episodes that are co-written with Chris Chibnall in this era, considering that we've just had Fugitive of the Jadoon and yeah. Village of the Angels mm. brought up, which are obviously co-written efforts. And then there's a lot of episodes that are written by Chris Chibnall himself without any of the 
of the other writing team and I was just wondering like because for me I find it quite strange because it may always it makes me to speculate on which bits <laughs> are by who as if it's a patchwork even though that may not be the case mm. but if he just edited the script then why is it a co-writing credit you know what I mean mm-hmm. so this is something that I'm going to talk about a little bit more in in a few minutes when we start talking about the sort of <laughs> legacy of the of the era but I am really interested to hear some behind the scenes stories from this era because certainly from the outside it feels like something weird must have been going on behind the scenes at various points uh, and again I'll talk about that more in a little bit but I I don't actually know at this point uh, this is something that may come out at some point but I don't really know what Chibnall's attitude to kind of rewriting other people's scripts is or was because you know that davis was always like very interventionist he would like rewrite anything quite substantially but he usually wouldn't take a writing credit whereas then moffat was to begin with more laissez-faire and then i think later on around the capaldi era he became a bit more willing to rewrite things that he thought weren't quite up to snuff or that he needed to kind of put some work on and so he does start to take co-writing credits so yeah i I do think my guess is that at least some of the reason why we see so many chibnall credits is just because this era is quite big on trying to tie things together i mean flux is the obvious example Mm -hmm. here but and he is credited on every episode of flux but uh, almost in fact he's almost the sole writer on on most of it but i think they're because this era is quite keen on trying to feed these threads like the timeless child through like kind of the it kind of tries to do something like that with the stenza in series 11 although it doesn't really come off Mm. i I suspect that's why it's also you'll notice it's kind of after series 11 that he starts to take more co-writing credits and i don't think he has any in series 11 although i could be wrong about that although he does Right, I think five of the episodes. That's Rosa. Rosa, sorry, you're right. Yeah, it's, like I say, it's hard to know without knowing more of what was sort of going on within the within the writer's room, if you like. Uh, although I'm not sure there ever really was such a thing. I mean, it is worth saying, as far as I am aware, none of the writers who have worked on the era have expressed any kind of dis- disillusionment or disappointment. Uh, so I don't want to suggest that like that that was the case because there's no evidence for it at all. Mm. But yeah, I don't, I don't know, Jacob. Do you have anything to um, add to that? I mean, I read something, and I can't remember where it was. I feel like this is entirely unsubstantiated and, and not <laughs> okay. supported. But it's actually something in Chibnall's defence, which I never thought I'd hear myself say. Um, but apparently, uh, I can't remember where I read it, but someone somewhere at some point suggested that the reason why he's credited on so many is because Moffat's advice to him when he took over was you're going to end up rewriting lots of episodes and you should just put co- co-credit because he didn't do that when he was running mm-hmm. it, supposedly. I don't know if that's true. That might be complete rubbish. I all, because I also do think I get the feeling that Chibnall seems to want a lot of creative control. That's my impression because of uh, wanting to tie all this stuff together, and the fact that he wrote solely most of Flux himself 
apart from Village of the Angels, makes me think that's probably true. But I don't know. Um, um, we may never know. I mean, like, the year has been mm. so secretive, often for no apparent reason, that I, mm. I wonder how long it will take, if ever, for any of this stuff to kind of emerge. But, yeah, like, it's pure speculation. Hey, if it's unsubstantiated but positive, I think we can... <laughs> it's still unsubstantiated. Yeah. Um <laughs> Spread some nice rumours. <laughs> no. No. Um, okay. Yeah, I... I I, can, I could see that being the case, especially, as I say, because there is that sort of clear development in, in Moffat's era. But, yeah, it's, it's hard to know. And... And I should I should say as well, like I don't mean to suggest by any of this that like Chibnall getting so many credits is inherently a bad thing. Mm. I don't think much of him as a writer generally, so in that sense maybe it is. But like I don't I'm not I don't mean to suggest at all that it's kind of ego on his part that he's giving himself a load of credits or commissions or whatever i don't i have no reason to think that's the case at all and mm. uh, i suspect it's something more to do with the kind of dynamics of how the show is being produced in this era um, and it may be that it just sort of made more sense to take a lot of the the bulk of the writing on especially it is also worth mentioning that some of the writers at least were relatively new to tv and i think that was a deliberate effort uh, so I I don't know that Mallory Blackman, for instance, had had a TV credit before. Yeah. I'm not sure. She has had books turned into TV shows. Yeah. But I don't know how involved yeah. she was with that side of things. And I know people like um, Vinay Patel was really, and I think continues to be more a theatre writer, as was the co-writer of Legend of the Sea Devils, whose name escapes me at the moment. Hello Road, I think it was. Yes, thank you. Uh, that's that's the name I had in my head, but didn't want to say because I wasn't certain enough of it. And uh, whereas I I I think um, Maxine Alderton was is uh, more experienced. I believe she's written for soaps in particular. Mm. I suppose it might just be a shift in how um in how TV how how TV episode writing is being recorded more generally. If it's mm. something that um started in the Moffat era and has continued, because to be fair, I can also see. I can see that I can very much see the argument that when, for example, Russell T Davies was doing all that work of rewriting, maybe he should have had the co-writing credits because, like, otherwise, it's a, it might be his work going unacknowledged. And so, to be honest, if it's about like acknowledging the work that went into, and if that's part of a broader shift, then that's probably a good thing, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was kind of interesting, and. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what ha- how, how if 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 Davies follows that lead actually, because mm. um, if he's going to keep yeah. rewriting them as much, I, I I suppose he kind of may as well get the credit as well. I'm just glancing down at my top three and bottom three, by the way, um, and Jibnal is credited on all of them except Demons of the Punjab, mm. um, and he's solely credited on two of my bottom three and co-credited on one. And he's co-credited on one of my top three and solely credited on another. So if that's an indication, it's not really an indication because it kind of balances out. But still, in kind of interesting in itself, just in he's terms of numbers. He's there at the best and he's there at the worst. Wow. It was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. <laughs> so before we move on, it's, it is interesting. I like, I did expect 
very much expect that all three of us would have Demons of the Punjab as our number one, because it's so obviously the, the standout of the era, and many, many people have said this. I didn't expect Woman Who Felt Worth to be on all of our top threes. I thought it would show up all right. Well, I knew it would show up because it was on mine. But, like, it's there's something kind of interesting about that, I think. Because I, I think it serves a similar purpose to something like Rose, which is really the, the, the obvious comparison point, uh, in terms of being the sort of introduction into, into an era, into a way of seeing the show, and introducing the kind of the key elements and... Uh, theoretically at least the kind of the tone of it and it's interesting because when if you remember when we did series one i think all of us when we came to rank the series thought of rose as kind of like almost a middling episode in Mm -hmm. terms of where it fell within that that series certainly not like one of the best one of certainly not one of the best davies episodes overall and for that matter i actually think rose is a bit better than woman who fell to earth on the whole. So I do think that's a, an interesting point of comparison. But on, on that note, on some kind of note, we'll move on to talking about our bottom threes. Our bottoms three, if you like. Anyway, we'll do them in the same order. Uh, so I will start. And... I think I had a vague sort of... Well, actually, I came up with my bottom three before I came up with the the theoretical framework binding them together, uh, which is the way my academic work always worked. So why, why change things now? But what I've kind of come up with is I think they each represent aspects of the era that I particularly dislike more than one aspect in some cases. So we'll go through them with that in mind. And the first, my number three, my third least favorite episode of the era. I had some, again, I had some thought over this, but again, I ended up going with my first instinct, which was Legend of the Sea Devils. (laughs) Now, I think Legend of the Sea Devils is a really bad episode. I'm not going to mince words about that. But the main reason I decided to put it in here was I think it sums up so many of my issues with this era. It's almost like a perfect storm of some of the things I like least. It's th- it's got th- it's a historical with an apparently sort of educational remit, but which kind of which deals with the sort of the trappings of history, a kind of showy aesthetic version of history rather than anything more interesting or specific or material. And more to the point, it sidelines the actual historical figure in the in the episode. Uh, it's just kind of quite boring. It brings back the Sea Devils for just no reason. And even more bizarrely, this is not totally the episode's fault, but it is kind of indicative, I think, is that the marketing seems to hang so much on the Sea Devils to the point that in the like 10 second trailer after Eve of the Daleks, it built up to just, there's a sea devil. And in fact, yeah, in fact, it's even worse than that. Now that I think of it, they had the title came up and it came up legend of, and then the sea devil came up and said the sea devils. And I would expect 90 to 95% of the people watching said who? Because the sea devils were in two stories in the classic series 
It was almost 40 years since they'd appeared on screen. And, I mean, neither of the two stories they were in are particularly well remembered. I mean, one is famously disastrous. uh, And the other is kind of just a retread of the Silurians. So, it was such a weird choice. But it seems to me to kind of... To embody a lot of the issues of... Particularly, I'd say, the sort of second half-ish of the Chibnall era. Which I think are even more exemplified by Power of the Doctor. Although I think that's probably a better episode overall. In terms of the reliance on nostalgia. But it's such a... I think it's particularly indicative because it's such a strange place to go for nostalgia. Who was nostalgic for the Sea Devils? And I'll never understand it. But anyway, that's my <laughs> that's my number three, and I think I'll move on before to, so I can stop getting upset about sea devils. <laughs> number two, my second least favorite, blah blah blah, is the timeless children. Mm. Now again, I don't know that I would necessarily say this is like the second worst episode of the era. It, it's it's down there. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's here because. Partly because, as we've talked about already, I don't particularly like the Timeless Child uh, plot arc in general, slash plot twist in general. Uh, I don't think it really amounts to much, and I think it's kind of, it's really detrimental to the show overall in various ways, and obviously this is kind of the center point of that. But it also, this is an episode that really showcases some of the worst elements of of the era pretty spectacularly. It's a story theoretically all about the Doctor, in which she does nothing for most of the episode. She's kind of just stood there having, I think, again, Andrew Ellard, hero of these episodes, put it as like, it's as if the Master is stood there reading a Wikipedia article to her for half the episode, and then the other half, Joe Martin, turns up and reads her the other half. It's also, it again showcases some things that we've talked about already in terms of Ryan's magically disappearing dyspraxia. The 13th Doctor's classic strategy of just letting people sacrifice themselves for her without really raising much of a fuss when she's just quite happy to let the granddad from Dairy Girls die. I can't remember his character's name. I don't really care. It's some, it's some stupid alien name with a, probably with some K's in it. Uh, that's something we haven't even talked about. But anyway, um, so yeah, I think I think it's it's. I don't like. I talk about the timeless child thing being detrimental to the show overall. I don't actually think. Again, we're straying a little into the next segment here, but I don't actually think it's going to have that much of a legacy. But I think part of the the reason it's not going to have much of a legacy is because this episode was so bad that it kind of just dunked it. Altogether, like even the rest of the era doesn't really deal with it that much. Like there's, there's again we talked about this. There's some of it in flux, and it kind of it's referred to every now and then. But like it's, it just kind of vanishes. What about the Ireland bits? Well, that's Ascension of the Cybermen. Oh, I'm so sorry. I mean, they're not good either. But like that is a better episode. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's it's those bits aren't good. <laughs> those bits aren't good, and to be honest, the rest of it is Earth Shock. So, you know, still not great. But anyway, and um, my number one, the 
all-time worst episode of the Chibnall era, to my mind, is the Battle of Rancid Old Cabbage. <laughs> um, I mean, I've already mentioned that uh, I'm interested to hear some kind of behind-the-scenes sto- stories in this era. And this is, this is an interesting one, because this is a rare example where we actually kind of do know something about this episode already. In that Chibnall admitted in Doctor Who magazine uh, a few months back that he wasn't, he, he didn't really much like how this would have come out, which is fair enough. Uh, and he, I think he specifically said it was it was essentially a first draft that made its way to the screen. And my God, does it show! It's 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 such a kind of poor piece of plotting where character motivations just pop up out of nowhere and then vanish again. So much of it feels like he kind of... I, I don't like going into people's intentions in terms of writing because I don't think that's at all fair. I don't think it's something we can really know. But certainly it feels as though like whole scenes, maybe whole characters in this are just kind of placeholders for where something better will come and then it just never came. Uh, it's It's so kind of lacking in drama. It's so lacking in emotion, in just any kind of humanity. It's, I mean, I, I think it's 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 flat out a disaster of an episode. And I think as well, like, you know, we've seen episodes of Doctor Who that like clearly hadn't gone through much of a drafting process before. We've seen episodes that clearly made it to the screen in an unready fashion. And I don't like to dwell too much on the sort of comparing showrunners to each other. But it is kind of indicative because like... As we talked about when we did our Series 6 episode, The Wedding of River Song really feels like, and to be fair again, I think Moffat has admitted this, like it's quite an early draft that sort of didn't get, he didn't get to do much work on that made it to screen. And I think Wedding of River Song is a mess, but I think it works more or less. I think you can see where it could have gone. Where is this? It's just so bad. It's, and I, I mean, I talked about each of these kind of like exemplifying something, and there are certainly elements of uh, wider problems I have with the era in here in terms of like, it's a, a an all-timer in terms of the Doctor not killing some, some the, the villain, but like doing something kind of worse to them. And there's kind of, there's the, just the totally uneven companion characterization cropping up, particularly with Graham here. Uh, where he just suddenly decides he's going to be a murderer. But most of all, I think what this exemplifies is just bad writing. <laughs> like, pl- plain and simple. And it is simplistic. It is reductive to 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 say that. But I, I also think we have spent three, nearly four hours at this point talking about all the ways in, w- in which the writing in this era is bad. I don't know that I have to talk about it too much more. But this really, for me, is just top or bottom of the pile in that regard before i move on i i did make a, a list of alternative names for this episode in case i kept have to keep mentioning the um the title so i'll go through them now because i'm proud of them uh the, the battle of raz al ghul the battle of railway o'clock the battle of robot on campus the battle of rumble and count the battle of rapscallion court the battle of reuse the cans and the battle of random encounters Branwell. Battle of Rapscallion Court actually sounds quite good. That's a good title. Hmm. 
Anyway, so uh, these aren't actually in any particular order, these ones. I just picked out three that I thought particularly bad when I was going through all the episodes and picking my top and bottom three. Um, I could have picked a different three a different day, and they're all different from the ones that Kieran mm. had, although now that you've mentioned yours, I'm kind of thinking maybe some of those should have been on my list as well, but we'll see. So, in no particular order, as I said, Spyfall Part 2, I've listed, I've singled out Part 2 specifically, um, because that's where all the worst stuff in that story is, and I think... Mm. It's worth doing it. And normally we treat two parts as one, but obviously I'm making a little bit of an exception here. But that's for the treatment of just mind-wiping historical women after using them for sort of cheap girl boss moments without really going into too much about who they are or, or what they're about. Hmm. Um, and, of course, most egregious, um, the master wearing like a a Nazi uniform and then being outed by the doctor as a person of colour which in this scenario means that he will be sent to a concentration camp and that's just one of the worst things I've ever seen in Doctor Who probably probably the worst so yeah that's why that's there then I've got, and this is where I have doubt about whether I picked the right Daleks one, but if I'm describing the wrong one, just correct me, Jacob and Kieran, you'll know. I've put Revolution of the Daleks, which I believe to be the one that has Captain Jack yes. and mm-hmm. not Donald Trump in it, yes, who is yes. also called Jack. Yeah. And that's one of the problems <laughs> with it. <laughs> I just think it, it I, was just, I was just looking back through them and I was like, oh yeah, that one was really poor. I don't like the inclusion of Captain Jack in this era for a lot of reasons, but also I just think that um, this episode stood out as having too many characters and not knowing what to do with them because you've already got like an overloaded TARDIS team, as we've said, and then you had two more guys, both called Jack. I also don't like the fun, the fun, cosy redemption of a Trump guy because like, I just don't think there's anything fun about having him kind of along for the ride, really. There's some, like, very weak attempts at satire that I don't really understand what they were going for at all. Like, it's not even when there's, like, attempts at satire in the Slitheen episodes of the first season where we're, like, oh, I see what they were going for, but it's bad. <laughs> it's I don't even really know what the point was other than that this is a bit like a thing you might recognise from the news. So yeah, that one that one's made an appearance on my list. And then last of all, Kablam. Now, this does have like a decent first part to it. So it has the Villa Diodati problem to an extent where it's only here because of like the last sort of third of it uh, and the messages that we get from that but I think for how odd the message is at the end um, I do not think that the first part is as strong as Villa Diodati either Um, and so it kind of balances out overall bad there's also some minor things in the first half that I don't love like Ryan not being allowed to be good at the job that he does for work but 
it's just the fact of the overall thing of um like the system not being the problem the people in charge being the problem which is a recurring theme throughout the Chibnall era actually because I was thinking just the other day about how um Rosa ends up kind of weirdly one bad la- one bad appling the Montgomery bus drivers um as if like it not being one specific guy would make a difference to what happened but I think this is where it's most explicit this is where it's the worst it's really strange I was reading an article the other day that seemed to that 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 was saying that the Chibnall era was kind of knowingly cruel in in certain respects and knowingly cruel and cynical and I just don't buy that it knows what it's doing I think it is like delivering these messages that are cruel cynical ineffective at making any kind of change and it's all delivered in a kind of happy-go-lucky team spirit yeah great work guys kind of way that just is quite sickening really and yeah so that's my bottom three as i said different day i might have picked different ones Spyfall and Kablam probably might be in there anyway just because of the messages and specific instances but Revolution of the Daleks could have just been swapped with any random of special one of the specials to be honest mm. um which are all I think pretty poor mm. I yeah I mean I give I'll give a little bit of credit to Eve of the Daleks which is at least trying to do something vaguely interesting with its storytelling uh, although I don't think it's very good, but yeah, I mean it is worth mentioning that when um, when Branwell said Spyfall Part Two, both Jacob and I nodded vigorously. <laughs> yeah, also Kerblam was a strong contender for my bottom three as well. It's it is. I mean we've mentioned it several times, although we haven't really called it out. And um, it is a weirdly recurring problem uh, in the in this era. The thing of like. Uh, episodes with with endings that badly undermine everything that's gone before. You've got it with Kerblam, it's probably the most egregious example. You've got it with Villa Diodati. You've got it with um, Can You Hear Me? Mm-hmm. It's 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 such a strange... It's weird enough that it would happen once, but it would, that it would happen at least three times, certainly, and you could probably make the argument for some other episodes as well. Mm. Uh, it's It's just very strange. But anyway, uh, Jacob. Okay, well, I have so many episodes written down on here that I'm uh, <laughs> scribbling out and, and oh. changing around. And it's, it's just, there's so many terrible ones that I could have picked. Uh, like, yeah, it, it's just constantly changing. It's in flux, you could say. Oh. Uh, flux actually isn't in these, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Um which one would you pick, though? That's you can't. That's if it was the worst one, it's... probably oh, once no, upon time. I wasn't. Time. I wasn't. Oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, I I would have said the Vanquishers, which I think is the name of the last one. Oh, actually, maybe yeah, is that I, as well as yeah. I actually can't separate them out, other than Village of the Angels is like decent. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, sorry, I yeah, tried but, us there. So, um, okay, so there were two that. Well, there was one in particular I was definite on from the beginning, and then there was another one that I was like, "Yes, I don't have any order for these because I think they're all terrible." 
So one that I was definite on from the beginning was the Timeless Children. Right. I hate the the whole plot arc that it's set up. I think, you know, it's it's I find it elitist and and kind of just undermining the whole point of the character. I think it is I wrote down lots of revelations badly told and that's pretty much what it is it's just this stream of different things and like you said it's like reading a wikipedia article that's exactly what it's like and and that is not how you 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 explain these kind of revelations also if you want to mystify the origins of the doctor which i have some sympathy for you don't do it by going oh let's have this thing that we've set up at the start of this season will mystify things and then immediately in one episode tell everyone pretty much everything like okay fine we don't know where in this other universe she's come from okay we've got that but everything else we now know like it's so ineffective like that's the kind of thing you drip feed over like the course of a season or two it's not it's just ridiculous anyway so there's that it's just terrible then the other one that i was quite certain on and was more certain on when I listened to both of you, was uh, Spyfall Part 2. Because, and again, I'm specifying Part 2 for exactly the same reasons. It, it It's just offensive, honestly. It, it's just... Like, I don't understand how Chris Chibnall could sit there and write this thing and go, this is okay, isn't it? This is okay to have, to have the first person of colour playing the master... In a Nazi uniform. Oh, and then we'll have the hero of the show, who I've set up as being extremely moralistic. We'll have them just, you know, send them off to a concentration camp, effectively. Like, and and, and it's, not, it's not even like, I mean, it, it's bad, but, like, it's not even like they questioned that. Or they went, okay, this is the Doctor being cruel. This is bad. Mm. Like, there wasn't even any sort of moral ambiguity about it. It was just like, this is fine. Move on. And then the Master just reappears, like, I don't know, five minutes later in the episode. It's just absolutely... I I just... It's tone deaf. I do not understand how anyone could look at that when they wrote it and think, this is fine. Um, And and again, like you said about the the Battle of Rancid Old Cabbage... Um, being a first draft but honestly I I, I feel like when I watch Chibnall's uh, stories I feel like a lot of them I'm like this has to be a first draft it's like he's just written the dialogue when he thought of it and then not gone back over any of it or the plot or anything it's astonishing just how bad it is so yeah there's that and as you were saying the kind of the 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 erasing of memories of women from history is just kind of yeah, extremely problematic, uh, to say the least. Um, and then, I didn't know what to put for the last one. I have so many things written down, I couldn't decide. In the end, I went with Legend of the Sea Devils. And you kind of swayed me on this, because I, I do think you're right. The historical setting is kind of used as this backdrop. The character we should be focusing on isn't focused on at all. Uh, you're completely right about the bringing back of the sea devils. I mean, again, this just kind of confirms my suspicions that Chibnall loves the Davison era. 
Mm. You know, mm. I, I think that's part of it. Like, and it does have a lot of those impulses. Like, it's very, it feels symptomatic of a show that has become under his kind of leadership, if you like, very um, f- self-referential and uh, it, it's it's too focused on what kind of, you know, maybe a, a fan like Chibnall would want, which is to see kind of these returning villains and stuff, which means absolutely nothing to, like, the vast majority of viewers. And is honestly just boring. If you're not going to do anything interesting with it, there is no point. Um, like, I really don't see the point in bringing back returning villains and things for the sake of it, uh, hmm. which is what this does. I very nearly put Rancid Old Cabbage, and then I decided that it was just so bland that I can't work up any kind of emotion against it. It's just terrible. It's still terrible, but I was like, if it's between something that's very, very bland or something that I actively really don't like what it's doing, I was like, I'll pick that. But honestly, it could have gone in. There were others, so Kablam was one that came up because I hate the message in it at the end, the the idea that the, it's the people, not the system. I hate that. But I, I kind of I, I kind of left it solely on the basis that I was like, I feel like there is a degree more competence than some of the other stories in this era in terms of how the story is told and stuff. Like, I, I don't think it's the very worst, even though I hate the message that it's giving. Uh, and I think it's kind of symptomatic of the problems in the whole era. I also put down Power of the Doctor because, again, it's continuity-obsessed, it's self-referential. It, there's just, frankly, some bizarre choices in it that I don't understand. It feels like it's all over the place. Yeah, like, I, I briefly put down It Takes You Away, but, like, just because I'm kind of baffled by it. But also, I'm like, maybe it's trying to do something interesting. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, but, yeah, that's it. Uh, that's all I have. <laughs> See, with something like It Takes You Away, I kind of appreciate the weirdness, even though it doesn't mm. land for me how it lands mm. for some other people. Yeah. But if if it's trying to do something absolutely bizarre, that's why I, we- I weirdly respect the overcommitment to the Cybermasters. Because yeah. it's like, that's such such a silly idea, but you're going for it, whatever. <sighs> I, have, I remember something else that I wanted to say about Kablam which is that I think that the less acknowledged weird part about the ending, as well as the obvious bit that everyone dislikes, is the idea that um, the solution to the problem that they have is to secure human jobs, even though Mm. it could all be automated. Mm. So it's like the idea that people have to work and that working is something that, like, is in some way necessary such that it needs to be secured against automation rather than the possibility of people maybe working less and having more time because of the automation. Mm. Basically, not allowing us to proceed along the logical path to luxury space communism Mm. and instead get trapped in this idea of work as inherently a moral good forever. And that's bleak. It is. It's a weird one, Kerblam, because it does. It feels like it's pushing in multiple directions at once. Because there's, as well as that, there is also the thing in the ending that, like, you know, the the workers all get to have two weeks off now, and like the doctor and companions get like offered, I think, management positions or something. Like that. I'd have to re- revisit it, but it's something like that. But this is, I decline. think, this is exactly the liberalism of the era. 
It's like, let's have this slow, gradual, piecemeal change where, you know, the workers get thrown a few scraps and that's all fine. That is what it is. Um, I think it mm. sums it up perfectly. And it's the same with Rosa, the idea we can't, we can't change history in a radical way. We have to follow the established path. Like, oh, great, if we'd have done that, we'd still have segregation. Like, it's just ridiculous. Mm. Sorry. No, it's, I think it... it... What I find strange about Kerblam in terms of that ending is it feels like at some point there was more of like a satire there. Mm. There was something more kind of like pushing in the direction that it seems to be going in for most of the episode where it's kind of uh, blunt but still like obvious uh, satire on Amazon particularly and companies like that. And I think bits of the ending are still maybe a remnant of that because I... It feels like those the, the like two weeks off thing is meant to feel like a sort of almost like Caves of Androzani esque sort of bit of bleak humor, but it just it just doesn't come off that way. So that's that's an episode I really want to find out what happened in the gestation of it because yeah. something happened, mm. and I really want to know what it was. I don't know, that could be multiple authors pushing in different directions, although only Pete McTeague is credited. Or it could be, I don't know what else it could be, but something. It's something, clearly. I mean, it is notable, I think, that our bottom threes are a lot more different than our top threes, mm. um, as I kind of half expected, to be honest. And that we all had kind of... Uh, well, actually, I didn't so much, although I certainly agree with all of your choices, but that we had kind of others that could have slotted in quite easily as well. Mm -hmm. It is kind of, it's a, a bit of an indictment really uh, in terms of the overall quality of this era that it's far easier to think of bad ones or even particularly bad ones than it is to think of particularly good ones. And I think like to be perfectly honest, because I've been thinking about this a bit recently, if I were making like, top 10 top 15 even a top 20 of the new series for all that i really like demons of the punjab i'd be surprised if it made it in mm. if i were making like a bottom 20 i'd say maybe a third to half of it would be made up of episodes from this era yeah and i think like i'm i know you know ranking has its pitfalls uh, for all that we've just spent, like, a lot of time on it. <laughs> um, you know, it, there's a degree to which it's always arbitrary, and you can you can change your mind from one moment to another, and I think that's fine, as long as you acknowledge it. But I also think, like, it is that is kind of quite an indictment in itself when you think about it in those kinds of terms. Yeah. Yeah. So, now we move on to the final section of the podcast. And this this one is far more speculative than what we've already done. This is this is very much conjecture and sort of guesswork, I guess. But I'm interested in thinking about how we think this era will be remembered. Maybe like how we think it might end up being compared to other eras or what kind of what the general consensus might be within a couple of years time or sorry not a couple of years time maybe a couple of decades time although if you want to think about it in terms of how it might be remembered in terms of different increments of time from now feel free yeah i mean i've got a few thoughts some of which i've already sort of uh 
alluded to, but like, um, I don't know, uh, Jacob, do you have any particular, anything in particular about this? Uh, I, I don't know. I think, I think this will go down, this era will go down as, as a failure, to be perfectly honest. I think, I think mm-hmm. it will, it will be seen as certainly the worst era, at least thus far of the modern series. I think it's one of the worst eras of the show altogether. Hmm. As for kind of the legacy of the sort of, you know, the plot elements, I mean, the Timeless Child thing being the biggest one, I don't know. We'll have to see. It dep- It really depends what subsequent showrunners, I mean, particularly Davies, does with it. I think hmm. the problem is it's very, it's going to be very hard to get around it. It's it's The problem is it's introduced a lot of law that people might need to know about and a lot of baggage that is unnecessary and I think that's going to be a real issue um, I also think it's going to be remembered as, as one of the most sort of poorly planned eras I have ever seen it's just, it's just there's no there is no progression of anything at all Like, hmm. I mean we, we talked about like the, the obviously there's the storyline with Yaz and the Doctor which just comes out of nowhere pretty much isn't really picked up on in the final episode either the timeless child stuff is kind of it just kind of surfaces occasionally even though it's supposed to be this like big transformative thing also something i find really weird is and i don't know whether davies is going to take this up but um there's the whole thing with uh the end of flux where the doctor gets the watch uh and it's supposed to have all these revelations in you know, and and she says at the end of the episode, she drops into the heart of the tires or whatever it is, she said, don't give it back to me unless I really ask for it. She goes, put it somewhere, I can't find it. And I thought that that was going to be kind of a bridge into like her final episode and they were going to do something with yeah. it. And I was very worried about what they were going to do with it. I was like, what is this going to be? Um, and, and there was nothing. It was just left. Mm. And and that's what I mean when I say it feels like there's no planning of anything at all. It's just like, oh, here's an idea. Let's do it. And then they just drop it. And I think it's particularly noticeable when it's just come off the back of the Capaldi years where Capaldi had this very kind of, uh, I think, well-executed, quite well-panned kind of character arc. And, and here there's just, it's just bizarre. There's not even the sense that like, They've come up with things and then retrospectively tried to incorporate it at all. It's just, they've, yeah, I don't say it's very incoherent, disappointing. There's a lot of missed opportunities and I, I think it will go down very badly. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly agree with all that. I, I do think, I mean, the you mentioned the Capaldi era is interesting because I think in a way, this era has done no favours by the fact that it follows what is, yep. to my mind, the best era of Doctor Who ever. Uh, I'm like quite happy to say to say that. Like, I I think anyone would have struggled to follow like three years from a showrunner who'd been been in the role for a few years and had gotten a chance to really settle in and kind of get to do these kind of ambitious stories with a stable of writers that he'd built up. That he knew he could rely on, and with a superb actor in the the main role, with two more superb actors playing com- major companions, uh, and also Matt Lucas was there. Anyway, <laughs> um, I think 
for me, the most obvious comparison point, and I've kind of thought this all along, maybe slightly uncharitably, but the most obvious comparison point in terms of the show's history, uh, for all that I think Chibnall definitely has an affinity with the Davison era and draws on that, I think the the comparison point for me is the Colin Baker era, unfortunately. Just in terms of kind of the sheer incoherence of what seems to be going on a lot of the time, there's the the weird nostalgia actually this only really crystallized for me uh with some of what jacob was saying earlier but the the kind of the weird retrospective viewpoint of something like legend of the sea devils is not that far from like attack of the cybermen and uh funnily enough ian levine was a huge fan of uh, power of the doctor (laughs) i'll just drop that comment there and also, I, this is where, I mean, I've, I've already alluded to the fact that I'm very interested in what kind of behind-the-scenes stories might emerge. I think the Colin Baker sto- era has come to be rehabilitated a little bit, and to be honest to my mind, gotten a bit too easy a ride from fans, because there has been more awareness over time of the pressures that were on the show uh, around and after season 22, um, and the fact that kind of it seemed to have entered a bit of a death spiral, partly through its own fault, partly not. I wonder if there are some similar things going on in this era, not least because of the the speculation that I've made before that Davies possibly took over to make sure there was somebody to take over, which seems to have been actually semi-confirmed since I said that, in fact. Because both um, Chibnall and Matt, Matt Strevens, Strevens, I've never been sure how to pronounce that, said that Power of the Doctor was basically written and produced, at least partially, with the understanding that it could be the final episode, for like several years at least. And so, I think that's, uh, I mean, that that's an obvious sort of like, comparison point in itself. But I also think maybe that might be part of the reason why, as you say, Jacob, there's so much plotting that seems to kind of go nowhere. I think there there might well be a sense that in future years, this will be seen as kind of a series of dead ends for the show, creatively. Like, kind of, whether they be sort of paths not taken or just paths that didn't lead anywhere. I'm not sure, but... Anyway, I, I have a little bit more to say, but Branwell, what do you what do you think about this? Yeah, so um, I have a theory, which is that I think that overall, the amount of people who love and hate this era may stay the same, but that's because a lot of the people that didn't like this era from the start were the people that hate it just because the Doctor regenerated into a a woman, Mm. those people are going to move on from that view or possibly shuffle off this model coil at some point Mm. in the future, right? But I think that um, their numbers are going to be replaced by people who come to see the era as more of a, a failure than perhaps it was perceived to be at the time. I think that probably people are going to... There's probably going to be people that belatedly kind of looking back on it realize that they didn't like it but i think also there are clearly people that enjoyed the era 
got something positive out of it overall. And I think that there will still be those people. Mm. And I also think that there is just a sort of general attitude in Doctor Who fandom, which I have slightly mixed feelings about, but I think is it comes from a good place, which is the attitude of like, we like Doctor Who, so we're going to do our best to like all of Doctor Who. Mm. And I think that's part of where the Colin Baker rehabilitation comes from. It's where most of it comes from, I think. I shouldn't say Colin Baker, I should say the like Sixth Doctor TV era. Yes. Um, but I think that there's 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 that impulse which is there. And I think that'll probably mean that um I don't think we're gonna see a massive rise in critiques of the era or anything, at least not for a long time. Because I think at the moment it's not like um and when people started really to really dislike the Moffat era, and let's be honest, people just hating on Stephen Moffat in particular, because at that time, um, I think the fandom had swollen with to to larger than what it had been before, and I think that the people who didn't like it then sort of left, but now that the fandom's smaller than what it was, and so. I don't really think that there's anywhere for it to go. I think there could be a positive to this, which is I think that even though obviously I don't agree that the that this era was was good, but I think that there could be some good fan works that come out of it. Mm. Because if people like and respond to the characters, which is most obvious with the people that um really enjoy the Doctor and Yaz's dynamic, then I think that they can they can bring something to it with their own creativity that is maybe more than what was really there in the source material. And because in Doctor Who fandom, the line between fan work and canonical text is kind of (laughs) wibbly-wobbly, I think that that could then go on to be stuff that contributes to the the canon of this set of... this this Doctor and these companions in a way that... um, you know, sort of shows it up a bit, and I think that could be really positive. Like I, I'd be that if that happens, then that that would be good. So I don't, I don't see there being a massive shift in how it is received overall. But I think that the people who are critical of it will probably end up being more people who don't like the writing and the themes, and less people who are misogynists. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely agree with you. I, particularly, this I mean, this is something I was intending to say as well. But like that, the there will just always be people who like Doctor Who and who like everything that is Doctor Who. Hmm. Um, and and yeah, that's no, that's by no means a bad thing. It does sometimes mean that people like Talons of Wang Chiang, which is a bad thing. But you know, um, <laughs> at the at the same time, I think. Like, you're right, clearly people are getting something from this era. And, like, I'm genuinely glad for them. There are people who like Doctor Who for being Doctor Who, and there are people who, I think, do get something particular from this particular era in yeah. contrast to others. And I don't really understand what that is, but you know what? Good for them. They were having a better time than me. <laughs> What? I'm not gonna yuck their yum, which is a phrase that I hate, and so I use it as often as possible. Hmm. God. <laughs> Sorry. 
Just whenever I hear that phrase, my brain shuts down a bit. One thing that I do wonder about in terms of whether it might kind of shift the dynamics of whether people like or dislike this era is I do think there has been an an element within fandom of people reacting against the kind of people that you were talking about, the, the misogynists, the racists, and understandably performing a kind of rearguard action and essentially being defensive of the show. Mm. And so I, I think there's a chance that, and probably quite a good chance actually, that that will kind of diminish over time. Especially, to be honest, if people are kind of celebrating the, sh- the show's progressive credentials, then I suspect there's a good chance after another couple of years of Russell T. Davies that that will kind of fade away. Actually, I hadn't thought of that, but the contrast, whatever the contrast is with the next era might be the thing that mm-hmm. could possibly determine, like upset the idea that I had that it would stay the same. Yeah, that's true. Because if the Slovenaissance takes hold... <laughs> And everyone's like, yes, Russell, we love you. Which I assume they will be because he is a beloved figure and a good writer. Then that could actually really like do a number on on people that are fans of this era in particular. Yeah, I think I think there's a, there is a good chance of that. And that's not which is not to say this era won't always have its fans because it certainly will. And there will always be people. I think particularly, you know, there will be. Jodie Whittaker's been the Doctor for five years. There will be a good number of people who grew up with this mm. as their ear, they, her as their Doctor, and like those people will always have a fondness for it, and that's, you know, that's fair enough. Like, there's no, there's, there's no arguing with that, and it's, it's by no means, it's by no means a bad thing, particularly as we've said, given the effect the Thirteenth Doctor has is seemed to have on young girls in particular, which is obviously something to be celebrated. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I have much to say beyond that. I I will say one legacy that I hope we do get from this era as well is honestly just some of the writers coming back. Like I'd love to see more from Vinay Patel, obviously. I'd lo- I'd really like to see more from Maxine Alderton as well. Mm-hmm. I'd be fascinated to see what they could do with um <laughs> with them a better era surrounding them, shall we say. Well, um, I'm 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 hoping that there will in the future there will be a kind of emerging of the really good writers from the Moffat era who were dropped unfairly, I think. Uh, and then, you know, some of the very good writers from the Chibnall era as well, like the Vanellope Pazels and the Maxine Aldersons. I think that would be good. Um, yeah. 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 No, I, I absolutely agree. And I think... Um, I, I, I do suspect some of the better writers of the, the Capaldi era, like Peter Harness, for instance, I think, I, I would not see him coming back to the show just because I suspect he's kind of moved on. Mm. And also I think he was just very suited to that particular era. Whereas darling of the podcast, Sarah Dollard, um, I think would be a superb candidate to come back. I'd really love to see uh, more from her. Yeah, I suppose career-wise we might not get that many writers from the Moffat era who would come back just because... It's been a long time, so they yeah, might be in exactly. different places. But I mean, yeah, if they could get Sarah Dar, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, well, yeah, and also, also, like, uh, I mean, I do agree with you that I'd like to see a kind of merging of the best. But I also think, like, Doctor Who is a show that always needs to be open to new talent. Mm. Um, yeah. 
like that that is something that i i think is an unambiguous positive of certainly of series 11 and uh, well i i mean i do agree with your point jacob that you've mentioned before as well that it seems a shame to let go of like such a strong stable of writers as there were for capaldi but at the same time i can see the merits of like opening it up to i think predominantly younger writers actually in this era as well which we've not really mentioned much but i think that that's uh whatever the individual merits of the writers that's just always a good thing for the show's continued health Mm -hmm. um so yeah like you know if i were to draw up a wish list of writers for the for the Davis era to come, it would, you know, some of it would definitely be returning writers, but there's also just like other writers in general that I'd love to see. So I would like to see someone I've never heard of, but turns out to be awesome. Yes, absolutely. That too. That's always the dream, I think. Yeah. I mean, in a way, I've kind of already got that with Shuti Gatwa, uh, just because I think he, like, I had not heard of him before the announcement. So I went and watched Sex Education and he's really good in that. And will almost definitely be really good as the Doctor. I'm uh, sure, yeah. So yeah. I think maybe actually on that forward-looking note, um, if we've nothing to... Uh, no more to say about the kind of expected legacy. I just want to say I can't wait for this Levenesance. <laughs> mm. Well, I feel like on some level you're always saying that. I In, my in heart, word and deed. Yeah, my heart is saying that. I want us to uncover the ancient sculptures of this Levine. And... Um, incorporate their great works into our modern crafts and bring forth a beautiful flowering of art, poetry and culture based on their beautiful forms and divine legacy. Yes. Mm. <laughs> the, the, the funny thing is, it took me a second to realise what you were kind of going for there, and I thought you were you were doing a sort of, like, Osiris-style, like, thing oh, of no. all human culture came from the Slithy. No, no, no. Although that will be true after the after the R2-D2 second oh, yeah. Davis era takes hold. Anyway, <laughs> on, on that glorious note... Not sure when exactly we'll be back with this podcast. Hopefully sometime soon. Depends on how various commitments work out for us all at the moment, really. Um, But hopefully we'll be back sometime soon. Probably before before R2-D2, in fact, I'm going to say. It's a good year away at the time of recording. But yeah, hopefully you can join us then. Thank you for listening to all of this so far. Uh, Until next time, I've been Kieran. I've been Bramwell. I've been Jacob. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.